being an accountant is a technical skill. Being a welder is a technical skill. Being a coach is a technical skill. But how to run that business, that's a different technical skill. You got to go somewhere and go, hey, I don't know how to do this. Help me. You are an amazing human being. You're a coach or expert who works hard to make a positive difference for your clients. I'm Joss Willard, and my mission is to help good coaches like you make great profits so you can live an amazing life helping the people you're meant to serve. This podcast is here to help with that. We'll be bringing you the information, resources, experts, and perspectives to allow your practice to make a difference, support the life you want, and reward you fairly and well for the impact that you bring. Welcome to Profit for Coaches. Hey folks, this is it. This is the last episode of Profit for Coaches in the year 2021. Don't worry, we will be back in 2022. We've already got episodes recorded and uh, stuff running. It's, it's going to be great. But this is the final episode for this year. So taking you into wrapping up of 2021 and the launching into 2022, I think it's fitting that uh, this episode is with a high energy guy. I haven't known Mitch very long. We were introduced just a, a month or two ago by a mutual friend and uh, is one of those cases where you're never sure when someone introduces you, you know, what you're going to find, whether you're going to like it, whether you're going to get along, et cetera. This one went well. So let me introduce you to Mitch Camage. Uh, Mitch has a simple life mission. It is Amazing Lives, Extraordinary Businesses. He is a business coach for 400, more than 400 extraordinary business owners. He's a mentor to thousands of growing people. He is a multi-event speaker, a small business marketing genius. He is the visionary of Mitch Camage Coaching and syndicate.org, savage in business. He is a father and husband. He is driven to build global impact with local results. Uh, as he puts it, business needs to be simple in its design, elegant in its operation, and repeatable in its systems. Anything less is unacceptable to him. He wants the whole world to learn how to run a business and win. And this, this conversation goes all, all over the place. Two coaches talking about what we love. I think this is a great way to end the year and get you excited about the opportunities and the potential that 2022 holds. So buckle up, enjoy the conversation. Real quick, before we get started, I want to make sure that the time you invest here is profitable. And the best way to do that is to make sure you grab a copy of the free ebook, The Four Must-Haves for a Profitable Coaching Practice. It's absolutely free. It's worth every penny. It outlines the four areas that every profitable coaching practice on the planet has in common. And thus, they're the four things that you must have nailed down in your coaching practice if you want it to be consistently profitable. So if you want an easy to understand, very specific tool that makes it crystal clear where to be focusing your attention in your practice and what you can safely ignore to ensure that your practice is consistently profitable and supports the life that you want to be living, go to ProfitForCoaches.com and download your copy of the four must-haves for a profitable coaching practice today. So Mitch Gamage, welcome to the show. Good to have you here. Josh, it's always good to see you, my brother. Yeah, it's uh, been a short but good relationship so far. I've enjoyed the conversations and bringing you on, I think just felt felt natural because good conversations should be recorded and shared with other people or maybe not. That could get people in trouble, I suppose. But uh... <laughs> in the social world we're living in right now, you know what? What the hell? Let's let's record it, put it on the internet, let other people listen to us talk. Perfect. Yeah, well, if someone else is recording it anyway, right? We might as well make it public. Cool. So the question I usually ask to start things off is, how did you get here? How did you become the inimitable Mitch Camage that you are today? You don't be. I'm assuming humor aside. Well, no, humor in <laughs> in you know definitely meant for the moment. 
if you meant just into this chair, I walked downstairs in my office cul-de-sac. You okay. mean how we got to the point where you and I are talking? It's eight years. Eight years I've been a business coach. And I guess that's what's gravitated to you and I talking as well. Mm-hmm. So we're both business coaches and we're both working people. But we've had some people that thought we should talk. So, I mean, there's, you know, the synergy. Let's get the let's get the big <laughs> coachy word out of the way to start with. Yep. Synergy was right for us to talk. Throw that crap aside. There we go. Ten years ago, my dad challenged me to think of this being my business, my place to go. Because he said two things. Bitch, you're incredibly smart to keep getting asked for advice. Thanks, dad. That's what you want to hear from your father. Mm-hmm. And um, you do not play well with others. So working for other people is probably not your long-term you know, path to success. So being your mm-hmm. own boss, probably going to be better for you and anybody else around you, right? Mm-hmm. So I took that to heart, spent a little over two years kind of getting ready to turn into this, but this was not this eight years ago. No, Mitch, how do you make some money? How do you find a client? What can you help them with? What are you good at, et cetera? Like all these paths that we go on, you take something that you're good at to start with, in my case, sales, you know, operations planning, some of the couple of those other bits and pieces that are quintessential to business. And then you kind of hang your shingle. You start talking to people and you go, I can help you with this. I can help you sell a little better. I can help you organize your business a little better. I can help you just generally structure a little better. That's eight years ago. And now we come forward to eight years later where it's a thing, like a real thing with a business and with taxes and with employees and uh, mm-hmm. other businesses, et cetera, all these different bits and pieces that got there. So the path was, while I'm generalizing quite a bit, a really good idea and something that I was doing little bits and pieces already. My father challenged me to turn it into a business. You know, Now I could think back and say that he actually really challenged me on, on being able to turn this into something viable mm-hmm. and took a tangible developed technical skill. Sales is a technical skill. Operations planning is a technical skill and started to use it as like everybody else, just coach and consultant. I mean, if, you know, you'd said, you said before, a lot of your audience for this is coaches. Well, we take something we, we think we're good at, or we've learned somewhere, or we took a course or a certificate. I took all those courses, certificates, other things I'd learned, started to deploy them going, well, if I can at least pay myself, mm-hmm. then we're in a good spot. Then if I can start making some okay money, then we're in kind of a spot. After a while, you find that you're making great money, and then you find that you have to learn a little more and learn a little more and learn a little more. Now it's eight years later, and it's 400 odd companies and so much money that, you know, I, I don't mean me personally, but just, just the mm-hmm. amount of revenue that you create, the opportunities you create for clients and stuff like that. And so it's you and I here. It's those opportunities created time and again and time and again, that repetition of it built a professional practice. I went from how do I pay myself to this is what I am. I'm a business coach and I help people with all of this stuff. And it's, 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 you know, um, evolutionary, not revolutionary. It doesn't happen short and violently. It took eight years to get to, to get to this spot. Yeah. Well, cool. So let's see, how do I want to ask this question? What would you say you do now? Like you've, you started out kind of like as an advice giver and Hey, well, I kind of know these things and I'm kind of good at this and I kind of help with that. Um, so are you a coach? Are you a consultant? Is there a difference in your mind? Who do you mostly help and what do you mostly help them do? I love the question as well. So if I, if I take where I came from to now, I am 100% a coach right now, 100% a coach. I'll explain the differentiation. I started as a consultant. I would go to people and I'd say, listen, I can help you with your sales. I can help you train some of your sales. I can help you improve your sales, but I'm going to do sales with you. So I'd go to work with a company and I'd be moonlighting and helping them generate sales and help their salespeople train up and things like that. So something you'd consider more of a traditional consultant, they'd be my employer for lack of a better word, Mm -hmm. but I might have two or three or four or five employers at a time and I'd go work with them on sales or they'd pay me for a week or two weeks or six weeks of time to come in and help them from an operations side of things, et cetera. I had a really limited repertoire actually when I looked at what I do now, then eight years ago, mm-hmm. work with sales, work with operations a little bit strategically, help them with a little bit of financial modeling, even though it's just part of where Mitch was really good at, mm-hmm. but I wasn't really confident. I wasn't really comfortable. Eight years forward now, I am 100% a coach and I work with businesses on 
all the stuff, right? Uh, cash flow, finance, money, building dashboards for business, organizing themselves from a time perspective, just, just getting better handle on how business owners and senior leaders organize their time so they're more efficient throughout the day, building operations plans, marketing, business development, HR, human capital components, building full-scale strategic plans, understanding brands. So it started out eight years ago as a as a consultant doing a thing because I had a technical skill that I could do better than other people to where I help other people learn how to do that, develop their, develop them, develop their business, develop their employees. And I guess what you'd say the real difference between consultant and coach, consultants help advise, put together something that maybe businesses don't know how to do so well, go in and do that work with them or for them. And then you've got a limited run of, run of engagement. Coaches are there for three kinds of reasons, accountability, clarity, and responsibility right? Accountability. Somebody has to have somebody to answer for, even as adults, we've got to be able to do that. Clarity. I, I, a lot of people, a lot of business owners, and I meet successful, I was just, just like you, you know, millionaires and billionaires that actually don't quite know how they got to where they're at. Yep. There's no clear path. They didn't, they, they just worked harder than everybody else and got to this point. And they don't want to work smarter or to keep it work, working sustainably. And then that responsibility piece, who does what? I mean, when you can finally say to yourself, Self, I don't have to do all of this anymore. I can translate to that to other people into partners or consultants or employees, et cetera. That's when businesses become re replicatable. Yep. So I moved from consultant where I was doing something I was good at and I knew I could get paid for it or thought I could get paid for it to where I help people figure it out. And yeah, do I do some consulting? Do I help people do some stuff? If you're paying enough money, Mitchell do lots of different things. But <laughs> my primary job is to help other people figure it out because it, you, you can't hire me forever. No, you can't. It's not reasonable. It's not sustainable. It's not viable. It's also not what I want to do. Mm -hmm. I primarily educate people. So I'm a, you know, consultants help with the doing coaches help with the teaching and the education. That's what coaches are. They weren't the best players. You know, if it's hockey, they weren't the best players in the ice. If it's football, they weren't the best players on the field. I mean, some of them were, but often people are professional coaches their entire life. And so I moved from consultant to coach where I help to educate, inspire, provide that clarity, responsibility, and develop technical information. I educate people on how to do that. And so I move from doing it to showing people how to do it themselves mm. over that over that span of, of eight years ago. So difference, consultants will really, really help with the doing, coaches will help with education, the formatting, that accountability, that responsibility. Somebody has to have somebody to watch over the shoulder. Hell, I've got a coach. I've had the same coach for five and a half years. And we actually, weirdly, we're recording this, and I just spoke to him two hours ago. <laughs> on my regular session, he's like, Mitch, you know, you got to do the stuff. I'm like, yeah, Keith, I know I got to do the stuff. So, yep. right. Even the coach has a coach Absolutely. And, and investing in coaching is, is a brilliant way to do it uh, for business owners, et cetera. Even coaches, coaches mm -hmm. should have coaches. I think so. I think I run into that a lot. You have in the coaching industry, that's, it's one of the sales tools, right? Is that, Oh, you mm -hmm. think you're going to be a coach. You can't be a coach without being a coach without having a coach. And how do you, how are you going to expect your, your clients to, invest in you as a coach if you're not investing in another coach you know and you can't show that you got to walk your talk and for a lot of people that's just a sales leverage tool it's just buy my program so that you can say you've got a coach but it's true though like you need, you need a you need to have a good coach or an, at least an advisory board that you can go to for that accountability right for that sounding board for that yeah. outside because you get, you get in the trees, you get in the weeds. Like it's so easy, especially as a business coach to look at anybody else's mm -hmm. business and go, here's your problem. Here's how to fix it. 
right? Yeah. But you look at your own or sometimes you'll see it and you'll go, yeah, I know, but, or you just don't even see it because you're so busy day to day. Josh, you put it perfectly. When I talk to my clients, when I talk to my clients about this, you know, because I work on business. So 80% of my time is spent talking about money and organizing their time better and the operations crap, you know, hiring, firing, sales, marketing, building technical skills for I don't know, welders or shipping people or accountants or whatever it is. And then the strategic part of it, there's 80% of my time, but 80% of my effort is, is spent in the other parts, the measurables. Yeah. People process profit. How's the business doing? And then you brilliantly laid it out. I talk about proximity and mentorship. Those are two very different things. Proximity, the people inside your business, the other people you surround yourself with, do you have other people that you can rely on? You, you talk touch that perfectly. That's why coaches should have other coaches, just to even talk technically. And in fact, you and, I are, you and I are discussing this right now. I'm going, wait a second. I talked to my coach two hours ago. An hour ago, I had a 30-minute standing one-to-one with another coach that's just in my ecosystem in another organization entirely, mm-hmm. where we just talk for 30 minutes every week just to clear the air. I'm further up the food chain than he is. I've got more experience, other stuff like that. But honestly, it's just a meeting of the minds. So proximity, other people around you, including your own employees in your business, never mind outside coaches and that, are brilliant because you need sounding boards. You need somebody to go to and say, is this the right decision? Mm-hmm. I do that all the time with my coaches and my proximate circle. And that other side, which is what coaching is really for, mentorship. As a coach, you got to have it. But as a business owner, you definitely need it because most business owners, just like most coaches, are technically good at something, yep. but how to run a business is a new technical skill. Running a business is a new technical skill. Being an accountant is a technical skill. Being a welder is a technical skill. Being a coach is a technical skill. But how to run that business, that's a different technical skill. You got to go somewhere and, and go, hey, I don't know how to do this. Help me. And so you got to have proximity, good people around you, but you got to have mentorship. You got to have somebody to go, here's the next thing you do. Otherwise, you're just reinventing it. Failure is, is omnipresent because of that. So proximity and mentorship shrinks that, reduces all that static, all that other crap that's built up. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to go into a little bit, you're a business coach and as you've, as you've said, you deal with everything in the business because yeah. you know the owner comes to you or the, or the executive team comes to you and they're like, hey, we need some help. How do you feel about specialization? And I hate when I listen to interviews on the radio and the guy's like, he asks the question then talks for 20 minutes before the guy can get an answer. So I'll try to avoid, let me tell you how I want you to answer this question, right? So I'm, I'm going to try to avoid doing that. But for context, a lot of business coaches, and I'm using the air quotes around that, are really just marketing or sales folks because 90% of people think that their biggest problem with their business is they're not selling enough, right? We're losing a dollar every time we make a sale, but if we can get enough sales, we'll make it up on volume. Um, so they go to the most business coaches and those guys will be like, well, I can tell you how to sell. I can teach you how to sell. I used to be a good sales guy. I sell my own business coaching all the time. And sometimes they'll, they'll say, I'm a marketing specialist or I'm a sales specialist. That's what I coach in. But there's a large chunk of business coaches that are just like, I'm a business coach. I can do anything, but really sales and marketing is 80, 90% of what they do and what they know. As someone who doesn't, well, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm misreading you, but as someone who doesn't hold out as a specialist in any one particular area, do you say, hey, I'm the GP and if I think you need a specialist, I'll refer you to one or- I, I know exactly what you're asking. I actually do that all the time. Now, Mitch's strongest suits are sales and marketing, strategic planning, financial modeling. So the the essential parts of the business, the ones that are universal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I could, if I could name drop, can I say a bigger company name for a moment? Is that sure. okay? We're permissible. Yeah, absolutely. Apple. Apple's a great example of it. The incredibly strong culture inside their business, 
incredibly robust sales model inside their business, incredibly strong cash flow accounting in their business, and a strategic plan to choke a horse. Like they know what they're doing, you know, well, well in advance, et cetera. I've heard some really brilliant people talking the last little while, and just like you do, lots of podcasts and stuff like that. But even going to Tim Cook now, not Steve Jobs, you know, Apple's still in a really good spot. Mm-hmm. So the fundamentals, the essentials are the ones that I focus on most of all cash flow on your financial dashboard, uh, spending more time working on your business, plan, direct, grow, measure. Sales and marketing are essential. That's lifeblood. That's the food source for the business itself. And having a strategic plan, that's a roadmap. I'm here. I'm going to go to there. What are all the road markers? What happens if something terrible happens, et cetera? What do I do? How I reorient, et cetera? Those are the parts I do best. But I unapologetically will bring in other resources. I refer to marketing partners all the time, not because Mitch doesn't know how to make the marketing engine work. It's better if Joss is a one-person show, and I help you to figure out how to market the first time for two reasons. One, now you understand some basic mechanics, which means it's an essential skill. Mm -hmm. Secondly, when you go talk to a marketing partner, if I refer somebody, now you can have an intelligent discussion. Hey, I've done this. Here's what I've got. And if I spend money, here's how I expect a return. So when I educate somebody on marketing, I'm doing two things. One, you become selfish, self-sufficient. And two, you can have a really good discussion with somebody else. Sales. I, I, I think of myself as a genius in sales. I, I trained, I've trained for sales for years. I don't mean trained as in got to school. I've taught other people for a decade now inside of sales. So it's something that I can help with the process. Don't put Mitch in the sales field. Don't. It's, it's a waste of, waste of talent. Like I've, I've had a phrase in my head for, for 20 years now, and, and this comes from a, a well-noted author, and he's, he's the founder of, of SEAL Team 6. So if you're a, if you're a Military Rick history Marcinko. aficionado, Rick Marcinko, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and, and he says in his book, uh, The Leadership Secrets of the Rogue Warrior, he says, you can teach brain surgeons to inoculate cattle, but what a waste of talent, yep. right? Mitch should not go on the field of sales. Mitch should train your sales team. Mitch can bring in an outside sales consultant if you want to really work at it. If you want to hire top quality salespeople or make sure the top quality salespeople when you're interviewing ahead of time, get Mitch in the room to talk to them. You're going to know really quickly whether they've got the professional background and talent acumen, whether their ability to navigate different types of people, et cetera, what their professional practice is as a salesperson, as opposed to somebody that's just really good on the floor or on the phone, right? Do they have a professional competency to go with it? So yeah, I do that where I help to educate, but it's to build a baseline in the business to navigate it. And ultimately, if you need partners, I refer those, you know, I'm a good HR generalist. We bring in HR consultants for, for clients with multiple employees, dozens, hundreds of employees all the time. Why? That is their specialization. That's what they do. Mitch is competent enough to answer the questions that's going to get your ass out of fire. But, but long-term, I shouldn't be your HR person. Let's yeah. get you an HR person. Let's get you a financial controller. Let's get you uh, a director of sales. Let's get you a marketing partner outside of the business or hell, find an outside entity for all of those. And now you're maximizing your taxable position, right? Good mm-hmm. financial education. Write off consultants instead of paying employees. That might be a good way to do it as well. Yeah. But I'll navigate and help build that up. But I will refer without prevaricating on it at all because it just makes better sense for their business long-term. They've got to survive Mitch getting hit by a bus or the contract coming to an end or you know both parties just saying thanks, but no thanks. Mm-hmm. Business has to create survivability. And that's what I educate on, but, but I'm unafraid to send people to different places. I think we're both on the same page there. I used to a lot um, when I was dealing with with clients who weren't coaches. I would 
would use the GP analogy. Like I'm, I'm your general practitioner doctor. You come to me when the business is sick. I, we can walk through, I know what should, what things should look like. Right. I know how to ask the right questions, find out what's wrong, find out what's broken and then go, Oh, well, it's a broken bone. We know how to splint that or put it in a cast or whatever. Easy. Oh, this looks like it might be cancer. Time to refer you to the oncologist or time to bring in the specialist for whatever, whatever yeah. it might be. Right. Yeah. Since we have a lot of coaches listening, what advice for, for a, someone who's looking to get into business coaching or, or possibly any, any type of coach, but specifically business coaching, better to say, you know what, I'm going to be a specialist and I'm going to hold out as a specialist. I want to work in one particular area that I have a great skill set in, and maybe I'll expand out later or better to go, you know what, I need to be a business generalist because then I can work with any business on any problem. Like which, which would you yeah, suggest? I, I know what you, I know what you're asking. I'll, I'll preface this uh, by stating the number of clients, and, and I do not have a formal post-secondary business-related education. So I'm going to preface that because my next statement is really important to the generalization versus specialist side of things. I've lost track of the number of clients that I have, small to medium businesses, where the business owner or senior leaders have MBAs and don't have a clue what's going on. So uh, the the basic, what we consider the gold standard for education and business is not built for, uh, most of my audience is small to medium business, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got large and capital class, occasional governance and all this sort of stuff, but I like little businesses. I like little ones. I like 10, 20, 50, 100 employees, 200 employees, whatever it is. That's the size I like uh, because I, I enjoy the volatility. I enjoy the chaos. So uh, about me, I'm okay with it. About mm-hmm. me, I'm okay with it being on fire. About me, I'm okay answering any one of 50 questions on 50 different subjects instead of business. If you're going to start out, start out as a specialist, but start as a specialist and you have to treat it as a development curve for technical skill given time. People will pay more money long-term for people that can answer and solve all of their problems in one place, even if you're going to bring in outside referrals, than they will for you to do one thing for them. However, the one thing that you've got a technical skill for, if you're good in HR, start HR consulting, set up your own entity. There's lots of small and medium businesses that need help. you got any business with 10, 15, 20 employees, they need an HR specialist at some point because they're going to hire somebody, they're going to fire somebody, and somebody's going to be looking for a pay raise at some point. And those three conversations alone are terrible, and the, the inaccuracy and failure rates for business owners is, is incredibly high. Sales is a great one. If you have a technical developed skills in sales, you must do that because it's something that people are terrified of. They're 100% terrified of picking up the phone and talking to a complete stranger, of going to a show, of, of being on a Zoom call, et cetera. So start out specialized, but treat it as an opportunity to develop technical skill and give yourself a time for it. But if you're going to start out specialized, and I say if, as in do it, start out as a specialist. If you're good at sales, you're good at marketing, good at HR, don't tell people to do everything. Say bad word in three, two, one. I'm fucking great at sales, right? Brilliant at sales. That's that's what has to happen. Wonderful. But treat it as a learning curve and then surround yourself with that proximate circle in a hurry. If you're good at sales, find a marketing partner to butt up against. Find an HR specialist. Find somebody that writes strategic plans or business plans or whatever. Find somebody that's a lawyer, that's an incorporation specialist, that can navigate corporate law a little bit. Find an accountant that's good with little businesses or big businesses. Because most of your clients, if you're getting started, they're be little businesses. Mm They're like, I'm going to get four clients and everybody's going to pay me $2,500 a month. Bull. That's bullshit. <laughs> it is not going to happen. You're not going to go from, I'm used to making $3,500 a month. You're not going to make 10 grand in the next six months. You might not even make 10 grand in the next six months. So focus on one thing, get in your wheelhouse. Don't stay in your wheelhouse, get in your wheelhouse, surround yourself with other people so you can refer business. Mm-hmm. First time you get one client, work your ass off to refer to one other person, get a referral to come back. But otherwise say to yourself in six months, I'm going to learn to do this. Six months after that, I'm going to learn to do this. 
And in two years, hey, I took some courses, some nighttime annex courses on cash flow counting. I went and signed up with Keith Cunningham's Keys to the Vault and went and took that course and learned how cash flow and the financial model and goes together. I took a time management course. I downloaded Tony Robbins program. I learned some. I learned some stuff on marketing. I, I watched all of Gary V's content to the point where I can't stand that man's voice anymore. Why Gary V? Because that dude will tell you outrageous. Like I'll tell you guys, ninety nine percent of you, ninety nine percent of the things I do, and I know that ninety nine percent of you will never do it because you're too lazy. He literally gives you the keys to how he built a multi billion dollar empire in marketing by literally telling you everything he does, and all you got to do is follow along. So go do something, but otherwise stick to one thing. Surround yourself with some good people, but then give yourself a development plan so you can get there because long-term, you will make more money, get paid more, and make your own business bulletproof if you get off your ass and learn to handle all of it. But still refer. Early on, though, stick to one thing. It's, it's where you're going to be happier. The majority of your clients, are they trying to do the, I want to be a wealthy solopreneur, for lack of a better word, mm. or are they trying to build that business that they can remove themselves from at some point? Whether by sale or vacation or whatever. No, I I I love the question. Uh, I don't think I've ever had a client that didn't go. I'd like to sell this business at some point. Wonderful. When do you want to do that? In a year. (laughs) That's not. It is not going to happen. You're screwed. You're never going to get the money. Well, why is that? And then after two minutes of talking, their eyes glaze over and they're going, "I got to take care of all that." Well, I don't have to take care of all that. Forget it. It's 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 not going to happen. The bulk of business owners. Maybe it's not like this first day. Maybe it's not like that at contract signing, but we'll call it first week, first month, first quarter that I work together. Mm-hmm. By the way, I work with people for multiple months, years even. I got yeah. clients right now that are taking over four years that I've worked with the same business owners. They're all, they're all in one of two camps. Things are going really well right now, but I know I'm going to bump up against the ceiling. And in fact, I just had a meeting with a business owner yesterday. He goes, you know, their business is growing 60% a year the last three years in a row, just like clockwork, bang, bang, bang. First words out of their mouth when really asked, they're like, we feel like we just hit our own ceiling. Don't really know what to do next. Before they're even going to go through next year and find that they plateaued, they're going, I got to do this. The other side, it's like, it should not be like this, right? Mm-hmm. So most of them aren't even, I don't even know if you call it self-aware enough. Everybody wants to sell their business maximum value, blah, 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 blah. I'd love to exit at some point. You know, I hear all manner of that stuff. Most of the time I actually hear, it shouldn't be like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it was 11 o'clock at night and I'm trying to meet payroll. Uh, it's 11 o'clock at night. I'm still sending out invoices. We tried to go on vacation and my phone rang every day, hell, day. every hour, yep. all day. Right. Uh, I, uh, hell, I had a client that I had a client that went away, you know, difference of opinion, went away, saw this guy just two months ago, physically. What's strange about that is that, that, that we're recording this in a spot where travel still really kind of tough and tight. Yep. You know, I live in Canada. He lives in the U.S. We happen to be at the same conference together, working together at the time. And I was just eavesdropping a little bit, overhearing him have a conversation with somebody else. So, Mitch, was this a failure? Could have been. Couldn't quite get get through to him in quite a spot. Worked with together for about seven months, went away. What did I hear him in the middle of this conference where he's doing something else entirely? On the phone, having almost an identical conversation that I remembered hearing him have two years before. And I'm going, dude, you're literally supposed to know better. Right. So, yeah, I, uh, you know what? Yeah, they, they want to sell and they want to make all the money or whatever it is. But an awful lot I hear, I, I can't do this. Yeah. I haven't taken a vacation in a year. Right. I can't take a weekend off without my phone ringing. So that's what I hear an awful lot of. Yep. I, uh, it's interesting because you, you will learn that some people, and 
the nice thing is with experience, we learn faster. We learn how to tell faster, but you'll learn that some people just, they're not going to, they're not here to learn. They're like, yo, coach boy, give me answer, right? Make happen. Whatever it is. And it's like, um, that's not how this works. It's time for you to point me to which page. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Grab a book and, and point. But, and then there's others who they'll learn and they'll take it and they'll go and they'll go. And then they get to a pre- to a certain point where they're just scared, can't handle the change. Like we <laughs> had a client who we took from, I think he was 6 million when he came to work with us. We got him to 30 million very quickly, like 18 months. And the dude hadn't, like he was working 80 hour weeks, hundred hour weeks, hadn't had a vacation in years. He quit working with us because he's like, I don't know what to do with eight weeks of vacation a year. I can't handle this business being any more efficient. If it's any more efficient, it doesn't need me. And he couldn't, he's just, he could not handle his business not needing him. And so I was like, I got to stop working with you. It's just like, okay, like a good problem to have, I guess. But, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I love, I love that because I, when I talk to people, clearly there's something else going on through this dude's head because success was, was obviously not it. Right. Mm-hmm. When I talk to him, I'm like, listen, relationships never end on a good note. You never go, you know what? <laughs> Things are good. Before we screw this up, let's, let's call just it a go day. Right. Yeah. It's almost what that sounds like, which means clearly there's something else going on. I don't mean yeah. not, not related to you related to yeah. this dude entirely. Something yeah. in his head that he just was not, not willing to deal with, cope with, scope with, whatever it is. Yeah. But no relationship. Hey, you made me $24 million more than I did a year ago. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Gotta go. Before we screw this up, I'm gone. See you later. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yep. And that's, that's one of the nice things about the coaching model. I will tell people, listen, if, if 12 to 18 months from now, we are still working on the same problem, one of us is not necessary in this relationship, yeah. right? Because either I'm not telling you the right stuff or you're not doing anything that I'm telling you. And either way, one of us doesn't need to be here so we can end the relationship. But it's not uncommon for 12 to 18 months to go by and we're still coaching. The relationship is still strong. We've hit targets. We've grown. Maybe we didn't hit the original target because we realized, oh, we need to go over here, whatever. But it's, yeah. it's this relationship that's like, you know what? Having you in my life, having you help my business makes my business more successful. I want to keep that going most of the time, right? But you well, get some- Josh, can I ask you a yeah. question? Sure, go ahead. Because, because I want to answer this. I want to answer this myself because you just made an interesting point. Go back two years ago. Mm-hmm. What changed in your business that wasn't according to plan? Because that's what you've literally just said. When I go back to the five and a half years I spent with my coach, what what I started talking to Keith about five and a half years ago and where I'm at now, vastly different. Oh man. And not in the way that I'm like, oh, I got exactly where I wanted to go. No, it is infinitely better, but it is not what I expected. So how about you? What, what just two years ago? Well, yeah, two years ago, Profit for Coaches as a brand didn't exist. Um, I was still like, I worked with coaches. I worked with a lot of coaches. I I helped run mastermind groups with coaches. They were a good 40, 50% of my practice, but I would never admit that out loud because for me, I didn't want to get any of the ickiness of the coaching industry on me. I got from the gurus and all that. Like I didn't want to be smeared by that, by that brush, but I worked with a ton of coaches. I helped them. They helped me like it was great stuff. And um, it wasn't quite two years ago that I started talking with a coach and mentor of mine. And he was like, why don't you think about planting your flag in the coaching world um, and building up that side of your business? You like working with other coaches. Like it was, it was just, it was having that conversation around what do you really want to do? What's the difference that you want to make in the world? And one of the sad facts of coaching life is we will never help as many people directly as we would like. We just can't like there's only so many hours in the day. We can only coach 
so much. We can only give out so much knowledge and so much support and so much help. And even if you build a team, like you're still only going to hit so many people. But for me, every coach I help means that I have indirectly helped every client they ever touch. Right. And so getting that wrapped around and going, okay, I can put some effort and some energy and some focus in. And so it took, it took some time, had to figure out the actual name and all that other kind of fun stuff. But my coaching practice, which, you know, Joshua Coaching and Consulting has been around in some ver- form or fashion for 20 some odd years. Yeah. Right. Um, Profit for Coaches has, was launched. It was a soft launch last summer. It was a hard full launch in October, November of last year. And it took longer than it, than it probably should have to do that. So my business kind of that side of my business has grown, has gotten stronger. I'm getting a lot more attention and people asking me about it. Two years ago, I would never have thought that was a thing I was going to do. Interesting. So I got I have to mirror what you just said too. I, when I started as a sales consultant, let's call mm-hmm. it what it was, working with people sales consulting as well. I didn't think it'd be eight years later. And I, much like you, I work with coaches as well. They're like, okay, Mitch, how do I build a coaching business? I know I'm a coach. I know I've got the certificate. I know I get people to ask for help. How do I charge? What do I do? How do I market it? Where does it go? It's yeah. same as you. You know, my my client roster is not as big as yours because my primary focus is you know rank and file regular business owners, if you will, mm-hmm. not coaches. But it's very interesting. That would never have entered my brain eight years ago. Mitch, you're going to coach other coaches. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. You know, I might train sales trainers, but I'm not going to be doing this. Yeah. You know, eight years later. So you want to be a coach? Oh. Perfect. <laughs> Wonderful. Have I got a deal for you? Right? Yeah. How do you want to get out of this? One of the places that I know you you work when we're speaking of, you know, a portion of your of who you work with as coaches, but another portion that I don't touch mm. is food. Mm-hmm. Right. You like restaurants, if I remember right. I like restaurants. I like restaurants and food service quite a bit. I've got a lot of background in it. So I've got just like you, I've got different business entities mm-hmm. as well. My primary business, Mitch Kamich Coaching. I mean, I'm taking my fingers and there's the name at the bottom yep. of the Zoom screen right there, yep. right? Just had coaching on the back end and there we go. It was easy to remember, especially for myself. Concussion prone from years in martial arts. So it's easy to remember my company. (laughs) Mitch, what's your company? Mitch Cabbage Coaching. Love it, right? There you go. My own remember. But Mitch Cabbage Coaching is there. There's other stuff going on. I've got this entire sideline, a secondary business uh, fully called Brewbeard Coaching. It's actually in a partnership with my coach, Keith, Dr. Keith Wagner, and with, with one of my other coaches as well. And between us, we've got, Hundreds of restaurant doors open. You know, our 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 primary, our our head of the spear, tip of the spear, if you will, Matt. You know, he he built a massive franchise, 60, 80 doors himself, all by himself. Sold it off, and has worked you know for the last 20, 25 years in hospitality. He's opened up some of the biggest properties right here in our marketplace in Alberta, and never mind been all over the world as well. I've worked with some of them as well. In fact, in fact, one of the things that led to me working here was you know everybody knows the weird mermaid chick. On the side of the coffee cup, you know, I, I worked for that one at one point too in a very different role than just running a store. Let's mm-hmm. just say that. Right? I'm very careful about, about saying out loud which one it is, but it has a mermaid on the cup just in case everybody's wondering otherwise. Um, between that and, and my coach Keith has worked with you know some of the bigger names, Chick-fil-A, Chipotle, other places like that. Yep. So I, I like food service. Love it. Love hospitality. Love food service. One, they're just a business. Like everything else, right? They still got cash flow needs and financial modeling and got to hire and you got to fire and all this other stuff. But it's food. Food's quintessential. And it's it's lifeblood out there. And failure rates are high. They're stupid yep. high. But they're stupid high for stupid reasons. Okay? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not even just normal. Like, uh, you know, I love tradespeople and I love accountants and I love engineers. Like almost half my clients are in the trades, construction. Mm-hmm. 
These people get it. You show them how to build a house. You build it one way, one time. Same thing with a business. Here's the plan. Here's how it all goes together. They're also used to asking for help. Hospitality people are not. They're like, nah, I'll just, I'll just make more money. I'll make more I money. Just love good food. A week. Yeah. People should love, love good, good food. food. <laughs> people should love good food and the money will sort itself out. Yeah. No, dumbass, you're going to go broke. And, and that's why restaurants fail in 90 or 120 days. So I love food service. We got this whole business called Brewbeard Coaching. We're with clients all over North America and ultimately a lot of work with people all over the world. But yeah, we like food. Well, I love food, but we like yeah. food. We like hospitality. We like beverages, alcoholic, non-alcoholic. We like building unique things, but we like making a bulletproof, foolproof. Every business has to be sellable. Every business has to be profitable. Every business has got to be an icon of some kind. You can run a great Dairy Queen or a great McDonald's or a great Taco Bell. But there's a difference between running a Taco Bell and a McDonald's and Dairy Queen and running one of the best franchises in a marketplace. Yeah. You know, being that person, I love building that stuff. It's it's lots of fun working. After all, it's hospitality. Everybody's really nice. Everybody's got a great customer service face. Everybody's really nice. Everybody thinks you're an asshole, right? Oh, yeah. yeah it's, it's great. It's wonderful. But everybody's really <laughs> nice on the surface. I, that's the best part of what we're working with restaurant people. So hmm. I don't know. For me, maybe it's just that I like I walk into any business or somebody calls me on the phone, customer service, you know, or pretty much any business I walk in and the coach's hat is always there, right? Yeah. You're always seeing, oh, you know, that's inefficient. Uh-oh, I can see where that's going to be a problem later. Like all that stuff just happens kind of 20 years of doing this, it's hard habit to get out of. I try not to do that in restaurants because <laughs> I want to, when I, when I go to food, so when I go to a restaurant, I want to just sit down and enjoy the meal. Um, yeah. as I, I often say the reason that I pay the extra to go to a restaurant so that I don't have to cook it. I don't have to clean up afterwards. I don't have to have any of the stress about it. And there are like, you know, my parents were like, you know, if we're going to eat all the food on your plate, you know, you got to don't waste the food. Don't waste the money. I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm paying to enjoy the experience. If eating more than three quarters of the food on the plate makes me feel sick or makes me feel like guilty or something like that, I'm not enjoying the experience. Why am I here? Why am I, why am I paying for it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so if I, if I was coaching in the restaurant world, I don't think I'd be able to enjoy eating at restaurants because I'd just be, <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I still, to a certain extent, I'm like, you're, you're in customer service, right? Okay. <laughs> I love it because actually that's what's going through my head all the time. But I, I got this war between the, the coaching side's going, they're screwing this up. Mm-hmm. They're screwing this up right now. And I could, I could fix it if you just shut the hell up for a minute and listen. And on the other side, I'm going, oh, this guy's not having a very good day. I got to tip him more now, right? Because clearly he's, he's having a bad go of it at that moment. I was honestly, to, to answer that question for you both sides, uh, two years ago in September, I was in California working with a, a coffee shop client. She had these, she's got these two wonderful little coffee shops. They're in Northern California in these two little towns, combined population of both these towns, about 18,000 people. Mm-hmm. She did more money than the Starbucks in the one town every year out of one of them. And both of her business, total population, 18,000 between these two towns. Wow. She did close to close to three and a half or four million in these two tiny little coffee shops. She just staggering. She was burying the Starbucks that was in town, whatever it was, right? And yeah. we would go down there, wonderful time. We're there for four days, work with her and all of her staff. She's got this whole other office, bakery, this lovely little eclectic coffee shop, really cool, drive through spinning 80% of the time. We get there at one point, we're all working in the back. And of course, they got my boy Keith there, and we're working with her and stuff like that. I said, I'm going to go check out what's going on the floor. Is that cool, Nicole? She goes, yeah, of course, that's cool. It's not 20 minutes later, they're watching the cameras in the office in the back. Where am I? On the line, making food and talking to people <laughs> at the window and customer service, right? And I'm at the till, I'm like, how did that interaction go? And the girl standing, she's like, that's pretty good. What should I do? 
you need to talk to them like this, like this, like this. That's awesome. Next person comes up. Hey, how's it going? She just, how did that work? It's wonderful. Then back there, I got this, you know, some point, you know, they're, you know, they're doing all those blended goods because they're in California. It's September. It's really yeah. hot out. So they're turning the blenders. Where am I? I'm at the dish pit washing blenders and the, <laughs> and the sprayer and the sanitizer going, I got another one up. I got another uh. one up. Shoulder, pass over the shoulder. Like, thank you. It's about four hours later, I come back to the office covered in food and crap and stuff like that out of an apron on. Keith goes, you look like you were having fun. I'm like, yeah. Those ones were constructive. I don't know. We'll see what my notes are like after. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I get you. But I'm just like literally in there on the line going, what are we making? Let's do this. Yep. No, I did. I did fast food when I was 15. That was my, was that my first job? Yeah, I think it was my first like real out of the house job working at Burger King as a 15 year old. And I remember being... <laughs> Like, and there are some things I was a genius handled things. And then there were things like the day that the, um, uh, the deaf guy came in and he's like, holds up his hand, like does the, the motion for, I need to, to write. Cause he's deaf. And I'm like, ah, ah, running around. What do I, how do I, what, how do I? and the manager comes up and she's like, and this is, you know, back in the early nineties. So we still had the print cash register. So she just comes up and presses paper feed on the cash register, prints out like four inches of cashew tape <laughs> tears it off and gives it to the guy along with a pencil. And I'm like, all right, I'm an idiot. Hands a pen and the he writes down his four things. You're like, awesome. Thank you. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but no, that was my, I think, was that the only time I worked in food service? I feel like that's the only time I've worked in food service other than, you know, spending some time on the food line when I was in the army and that you just, have to do that. Um, handing out the MREs and whatever, but, um, no, I think that's the extent of my work in food service. But I, I, when I first came to Canada, my fiance at the time, we, she invested in a big TV and we put it in my apartment and she would come and we would watch food network all the time. And that was when food network actually had real chefs who were teaching you how to cook and teaching you how to understand what goes into food. Like when I was younger and up until like my mid twenties, if I didn't like something, it was terrible. It was bad. It was terrible. It, it, it wasn't good. I didn't understand why, how people liked it, but I learned weirdly by watching food network and experimenting with some things, how to go, Hmm, this is a really good example of something that I don't like. It's yeah. well done. It is what it's yeah. supposed to be. I don't like what it's supposed to be. So that's fine. Yeah. That's my personal preference, but it's well done for it is what it is, right? Or it is what it's supposed to be. Um, so <laughs> I've gone into restaurants and had people bring me food and gone, I'm only a food network expert, but this does not look like what it's supposed to look like. I don't this think. Is terrible. Or, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, we went to a five-star resort. I don't know how we're going down this particular rabbit hole, but went to a five-star resort in Washington. I do not remember the name of it, but it's 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 outside of Blaine. So it's the, the border yeah. crossing BC. And I ordered, what was it? It was, it was a halibut steak in a melon sauce with mm. like a rich black rye bread. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah. And it comes out and it's this beautiful, like two inch thick, shining white halibut steak. And it's like, oh, this is excellent. The, the, the melon soup was in there and you could see seam coming. And I was like, all right, this is great. But the two pieces of bread were crisscrossed over the top of the steak with the ends in the soup, just soaking up the the moisture so that by the time it was put on the table in front of me, like a quarter of the bread already was just sludge and it was slowly becoming more of that. And then I pull up the spoon and I put it in and the, the melon soup is what it's called. Like what it says was cold. So you have this steaming halibut steak in cold melon soup that is sucking up and, and what used to be this beautiful, rich black rye, but just turning into mush. And I'm like, okay, 
I know this isn't your fault, server. So I'm going to, I'm not going to be mean to you, but is the chef in? <laughs> like who's actually what I said was who's running the kitchen. And he was yeah. like, I'm like, it's probably not the set, the chef, right? You're, you're a five-star place. You've probably got an executive chef and you've got a sous chef who runs the kitchen. He's like, yeah. I'm like, great. Is he on tonight? Is he here? They're like, yeah. Cause I need to know. I got some questions. Can you have him come out? <laughs> Came out and I was like, Hey chef, thanks. I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's busy in the kitchen, but like whose idea was this? Who developed this dish and thought it would be a good idea to take, let's leave the temperature differential differentiation between the melon soup and the, and the, we'll leave that alone. Who thought bread dunk in melon soup would be a five-star restaurant quality dish. And he had, he's like, I don't know. I don't, it wasn't me. I didn't design the menu. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sorry. He's like, I can just comp this for you if you want. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be the, you know, the jerk American, like, who's like, this is terrible. I want to accomplish. I'm just like, I was at that. I was just so flummoxed. I was like, like from a business, business decision, artistic decision, like who thought this would, how, how did you plate this? Just put the bread on the side. <laughs> just put it on the side. Yeah, it's like, not going to rob me of the experience because you, there's the rye bread and there's this it's, everything is beautiful love it right hey it came artfully structured on a side plate whatever hell, hell yeah. build the tower out of it and the side plate i'm good yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, so yeah and i feel like if i was wanted to make a career in coaching restaurants that that would be like where my brain would be rather than so yeah, don't do this don't ever do this don't yeah. do this at all. Yeah. It's, oh, it's not man. my word, but that's, that's the sum of my experience in help in making restaurants work. So it's like, eh, I don't, <laughs> I don't need to go there. I'm happy. If you're listening, you have a restaurant, you want to make it super profitable. I will happily refer you to Mitch. <laughs> He's your guy, not me. I can help your, your service staff with customer service and not being idiots when it comes to talking to other human beings. I can give you some basics of, but you know what? Your best bet is to say, Hey, Joss, I need to fix my restaurant. Can you give me Mitch's number? Because I will be happy to do that. I will happily take that call because I love those people. <laughs> they are they are my people. They are my people 100%. Soup and bread and all. They are my yep. people. Well, you know, it's I'm I'm sure someone meant well. We talked earlier, you, you mentioned travel. We're at a time when travel's a little wonky and and the restaurant business has just been it's one of the ones that has just been clobbered yeah. Yeah. in the last 20 months. What would you say to someone who's like, I'm thinking about getting into the restaurant industry or I am in the restaurant industry and I'm trying to figure out how to come out of this? Like what's. Yeah, I love the, I love the question. So let me, let me back it out a little more global sure. and then, then come back down to, to food service right now. We've got, and Josh, you see this every day. We've got haves and have nots. The divide between the haves and have nots is even bigger. You know, the, the, the illusion, the professional lie, or the fact that we have had in certain segments of the North American marketplace for 70 years, since World War II ended, this idea of middle class, the stratification, right? Where we have the, the lower class, lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class, upper class, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, this is not a classist statement. It's just a matter that people have certain spending power based on stratification and job and role and business right. size and all these other different things. We've got maybe dozens or hundreds of layers now where you can clearly see or define where we kind of is based on money. Food service, same thing. We get to the idea of, of a pandemic. We get the idea of, of you know COVID coming and stuff like that for a moment. Food service, faster than any of the other industries, got walloped. So food service and any brick and mortar retail got their ever-loving butts kicked. But yep. the divide between haves and have-nots, that certainly happened faster. There was There's not a lot of people stuck in the middle. You're either over here or you're over here. And yeah, the over here not having stuff is a lot bigger pool. But I noted something really interesting last 20 months and I've got, I mean, of course, of course, I've got good friends in hospitality, never mind 
clients, customers and stuff like that. There, there's one restaurant just two blocks, three blocks from my house right now. And I know the manager over there really, really well, know his business really well. It's a bigger chain that we've got here in Western Canada, all across Canada and stuff like that. And it's a, it's pub style, right? It's pub mm-hmm. style. So you got wings and nachos and all that sort of crap. And they got lots of beer taps and lots of sport television and all sorts of things like that going on. And he goes, honestly, since it started and it hasn't changed because even though their, their foot traffic is back their their you know, their dining area is open. Their patio has been open for the summer and for the mm-hmm. fall, et cetera. Now the snow's flying patties out there. They were breaking their opening weekend sales record every weekend, four months straight when the pandemic hit, because they immediately shifted to it again in Canada. So we got Uber Eats. Yep. We got skip the dishes. We got all this sort of stuff here, you know, on the stage, probably all the different, uh, all the food delivery apps, et cetera, going on. Yep. Yep. They immediately shifted. Those that didn't got their butts beat badly. Mm-hmm. Some restaurants waited. They started the view of the pandemic and just shut down entirely for four months because their war chest, their business acumen, yep. their development was strong enough that they could wait. And when they came back out of the gate, they had innovative. There's a, there's a massive, you know, uh, uh, what would be, and their own language is we are at the high end of middle class. We don't want to be an upper class dining facility. We want to be at the top end of middle class. So it's a steak joint in Canada. It's well known. The sponsorship deals all over the place, et cetera. They want to be known being at the top end of middle class, which means the average person can go to celebrate and the people that have got more money can show up on a regular basis. But mm-hmm. if you had a place you want to go to to celebrate, nobody feels out of place. It might be your one time a year you get to go to for other people that might be like, yeah, I can come, you know, I can come every week. They took four months to get their to get their shit right. And when they did, the stuff that came out of the back end was brand new packaging for their food. They invested a ton of money in technology in the kind of packaging that they put all of their meals in. Every one of their steaks they shipped home, other than the packaging, keeping it piping hot Mm -hmm. and and really high end tinfoil, the you know, the kind of plastic covers they put on them, sealed in the heat, etc. The way they kept your starch, your potato away from the meat. They put a little bladder, almost like a little tampon under every steak, not to soak up all the juice to dry it out, but to keep it from bleeding over and everything mm-hmm. else. Like the, the way they went about packaging everything, put it together was astonishing. I saw another major restaurant chain move from, yeah, you can come and pick up food early on in the pandemic where they had two staff on. They had the kitchen staff working. Otherwise, you walked in, you pulled up, you called, you walked in the door, you sanitized, you got your food. But they also had order your groceries from them. They would allow you to order through their commercial food service side to order groceries, toilet paper, milk, produce, meat, all this other stuff. So you saw the haves and the have-nots is the big divide in food service. Somebody wants to get into it right now, you must innovate. Mm -hmm. Food service like brick-and-mortar retail, innovate or die, is still 20 months into a pandemic, the watchwords. And every business felt it to a certain extent. Every business watched to a certain extent. But brick-and-mortar retail and food service, it is innovate or die. If you've got something that's different than a competitor right now, you're willing to immediately adopt delivery, takeout service, all these other things right away. Your price point is conscientious to what the market can provide. And you're willing to watch fiscally where your money's going to in the form of your product and mm-hmm. service. And for those businesses that are in the have category as well, they were unapologetic in doing the scariest thing in the world, which is having to roll back their staff, yep. having to move away from it. So if you're willing to be flexible when it comes to your people and your operating expenses, Hell, I'm watching a major pizza chain right now starting to downsize all of their brick-and-mortar seating to brick-and-mortar takeout. They're moving backwards 30 years in industry for pizza to where all they got is takeout and delivery. Yep. They aren't even doing 
seating anymore. In fact, the one that's in, you know, I live in Leduc here in Alberta. The one that's right here right now shut down their, their brick and mortar seating, you know, 3,200 square feet or 3,800 square feet with, you know, 40 tabletop or whatever it is. And they're mm-hmm. in 100, 150 people. And they moved to an 800 square foot, one story with the ovens in the back, two people mm-hmm. at the front counter. You can come for takeout. We do delivery otherwise. They got rid of their seating entirely. So innovate or die in food service. Yeah. You want to start right now? Good. You better have something the market's not watching at right now. You better be willing to adopt delivery and takeout right away. And you'd better invest in marketing fast because weirdly your competitors still haven't wrapped their head around that. So if you're going to get started in food service, you'd better be willing to budget for marketing and advertising right away because it is not going to be foot traffic and people don't give a rat's ass about buying local, even though we all talk about it anyway. They will only buy if you can show it off and you can't show it off by getting them to show up in the door because the next place next door is too busy. So they just get blowover traffic anymore. You got to show it off. So market, innovate or die and deliver or take out as fast as possible, you're likely to you're likely to succeed. If not, you're screwed and your clock is between 90 and 120 days, yeah. which is the average failure rate for most open restaurants to fail. Three to four months after opening, gone. This has been a super fun conversation. Um, we're up on time, so I don't I want to respect your time. So we should definitely continue this. A couple of things that I that I wanted to talk about that we're not going to get to today, but that's okay. Before we go, I want to ask the question that I ask everyone. Uh, what are you excited about right now? What's going on in your world? I, in a pandemic, innovate or die. I just finished saying that about food mm-hmm. service. Uh, I innovated as well. I did things that that uh, I thought about doing in the past. I shifted it right away. That's exciting to me. That's the novelty of it. But my little business empire grew from two businesses to five, and now six in the middle of the pandemic. So I've diversified an awful lot. That's what gets my that's what gets my goat going. Mm-hmm. Is that I'm in some entities right now that I because I understand business really well. I have an expectation and outcome, but I still don't know because it's brand new. I'm, I'm building more foundation, you know, in and outside of my business in a number of different areas, working in areas where I know an awful lot about the industry itself. You know, I'm a partner in an electrical company. I'm in a solar business. I've got a, a restaurant food service coaching business. I've got my regular business coaching side of things as well. So all these different entities are starting to crop up right away. That's what, that's what really does it for me, jazzes me up. You know, my business works with 40, 50 companies at a time. There's three of us. We work with about that many companies at a time over a certain period of time, but I've added all these other entities as well. And that stuff really gets my goat because it allows me to play in some different places. I refer to it as play coming to work. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. The pandemic has been wonderful for my sense of play because it's something brand new. The volatility is there all the time. I really enjoy that. And, and I, don't, I don't want to say I want the pandemic to continue, but while it does keep going the way it is naturally, it just gets my goat to wake up in the morning and work with the people the way I do. But I found four or five other ways to kind of do what I love to do in very different spots. And that's what I've been developing here as well. Really, really leaning hard into brewbeard coaching as an example, you know, working on the energy side, renewable energy and other things like that. These are some of the passions that I'm that I'm taking forward as well. It's what I love too. I also love what I'm watching in the marketplace right now because there's never been a better, better time to make money in business than it is right now if you're willing to be really smart. So I I love it. It's it's awesome. fueling my it's fueling my engine like no like nobody's business. Excellent. So if people want to find you, they've enjoyed the conversation. They want to know more about you. They want to figure out how to work with you. Where, where can they find you? Really easy. I mean, it's it's right in the name, mitchcamage.com. You can come find me there. In fact, all the socials, if you go to LinkedIn, type in linkedin.com slash Go to Facebook, 
Mitch Camage official. Go to Twitter at Mitch Camage. Go to go to Instagram at Mitch Camage. It's it's really easy to find me. They can find me in all those. Just come to my website, MitchCamage.com. You'll be able to get in touch with myself or some of my team. My whole team's on there, including Keith, my boy Keith, stuff like that. They're all on there. We've got this wonderful little team and we're just, we're, we're just here to help. Excellent. Awesome. And we'll put those links in the show notes so everyone can make it easy to find you. Uh, it's been a blast, Mitch. Thanks so much for being here. And um, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Joss, as always, my brother, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Profit for Coaches. I've been your host, Joss Withard. To make sure you never miss a new episode, go to ProfitForCoaches.com to subscribe now. You'll also find all the show notes, resources, guides, links, freebies, and other goodies that we mentioned on the show. Plus, we've got some special bonuses there just for our subscribers. So to make sure you profit fully from this and each new episode of Profit for Coaches, go to ProfitForCoaches.com now.